saying, We're listening to this thing about Hoover. This job? And Hoover said, I can do the job, but I won't do the job if I have got to answer to anyone else but you. At 30, Hoover became director of the FBI. He kept the position for 48 years wow. to his death. Jeez. There is nothing mysterious about the manner the Federal Bureau of Investigation works. The formula is a simple one. Intensive training, carefully investigated, and highly efficient personnel, plus rigid requirements with regard to conduct, intelligence, and integrity. Hoover established special agents, the G-Men, who answered only to him, not even the Attorney General or the President. His department had to be above reproach. His agents were all between 25 and 35, white, attractive, and middle class. They wore fists, white shirts, hats, and ties. The single men lived like folks. Hoover even used covert methods to split up couples. No blacks, no Hispanics, no women, no When he arrived, there were three female agents. Two were fired. The third ended her days in a psychiatric hospital, threatening to kill Hoover when she got out. He also got rid of those with spots, big ears, damp hands, and the bald and fat. Agents he found overweight had to diet and were weighed each month under threat. The agents secretly called Hoover Kid Napoleon because he was short. His swivel chair was at a maximum height and mounted on a platform. Visitors were seated on a low couch. Like Howard Hughes, Hoover was paranoid about germs. He installed an ultraviolet device in his office to eradicate them. An employee was responsible for swatting flies. <laughs> One branch of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the G-Man. This is a Bureau of Scientific Crime Detection. You, modern, up to the minute, in action day and night. The FBI never sleeps. The G-Men have become a legend. So what's the mystery behind their badge? There's heroism, we know that. In addition, he decided to centralize the rudimentary taking of fingerprint identification. Yes, Hoover organized it, put people in charge, got the budget to pay for it, brought it to Washington, and it became the center of the FBI's uh, actual power base with police around the country. Hoover established the world's largest crime lab. 24 hours a day, experts studied ballistics, poisons, hairs, fabric fibers, anonymous letters, and handwriting. The lab and its identification division became the key to Hoover's power. The FBI established a monopoly over all the country's criminal information. At Hoover's death, the fingerprint archives had files on 159 million people. 
1929, the stock market crash plunged America into chaos. Hoover was 34. The public remained too unaware of his new bureau for his taste and that of his boss. In 1932, when the child of the famous aviator Charles Lindbergh was kidnapped, America was shattered, and Hoover took advantage. Shattered. He had the president send him to oversee the case. To no avail. The baby's body was found just days later. Hoover used this. The investigation had been slowed by different state jurisdictions. Hoover asked Franklin Roosevelt to increase his power. From then on, his agents had the right to operate in all states, to bear weapons, and Hoover could investigate anyone he deemed a threat. He united all the information services in one office, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, under his sole direction. Chosen, I think it's going to be necessary to enlarge the detail of agents at Little Rock, Arkansas. Consequently, I think we will have to transfer two agents from St. Louis to Little Rock, agent Bush, agent Hardy for that detail. He was the first politician to understand the media's power and how to use it. The mafia gave him his chance. At this time, the popular heroes who made front page news were the gangsters. Machine Gun Kelly, Babyface Nelson, Ma Baker, and the famous Barney and Clyde. Hoover, with his genius for communication, reconstructed their deaths for the press. Director Hoover supervising field practice, and the target might be a gangster car. This is what happened to Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow in a battle with local officers. Hoover hated the gangster's popularity, especially John Dillinger, known as public enemy number one. Dillinger mocked the FBI, escaping them every time. When Hoover's right-hand man, Melvin Purvis, finally shot down Dillinger, Hoover organized the late-night Arizona. press conference to bask in the glory. Sure. In 1935, after 600 days of war on crime, Hoover and his G-men rid America of its gangsters and became heroes in turn, hyping their exploits to the press. A plane brings Machine Gun Kelly and his wife Catherine from Memphis, Tennessee. Less than 90 days after the kidnapping, 15 were convicted. Six get life. Bailey and Kelly and Alcatraz. When Machine Gun Kelly was captured, he begged, G-men don't shoot, meaning government men, and the name G-men flashed in the news. <laughs> Hoover negotiated a contract for control over G-Men, a radio show on the FBI's feats. He made every magazine cover as the symbol of national security and created Division 8, a press service dedicated to the glory of himself and the FBI. In 1936, millions of Americans were addicted to the tales of the G-Men. Children played with FBI badges and guns and slept in FBI pajamas. Hoover even became a cartoon hero. It's because of James Hoover that they became heroes. And they started to show up in movies. The no longer was the bad guy the one to win at the end. It was the G-Man who won at the end of the day. And literally, 
did put this country on the path of uh, law and order in the major way. Before World War II, many saw Hitler as the obvious bastion against communism. Airman Charles Lindbergh and Joseph Kennedy, father of John F. Kennedy and U.S. Ambassador to London, publicly called for an alliance with Hitler. They wanted the support of Hoover, a renowned anti-communist, who not only refused, but persuaded President Roosevelt that the Nazi threat was more dangerous than communism. The U.S. government uh, decided to look at the some 400,000 Germans who lived in the United States, and they created a, a department called the Radical Division within the Justice Department. Jay Gatou was part of those individuals looking for these Germans, looking at them to decide who was the good German and who was the bad German, who was your spying, who was not spying. And it set him on a course, this is Jay Edgar, of being able to look underneath the floor mat, look behind the individual. He got to know what was lurking in the dark shadows of America. And he was startled by what he saw. Hoover built up hundreds of files on Germans living in the U.S. and American Nazi Party members, worried by their rise in power. Dozens of Nazi spies were brought to justice. The hunt for subversives began. The fear was that Nazi spies were everywhere, including Hollywood, where star Errol Flynn was accused of being a Nazi agent. In June 1939, war broke out in Europe. Roosevelt announced that Hoover would lead the fight against espionage and sabotage. In May 1940, Roosevelt authorized Hoover to use phone tap. I was down to talk to my doctor about Rebelsis. Ask your health provider about Rebelsis today. In May 1940, Roosevelt authorized Hoover to use phone taps, formally prohibited. Use what? Hoover's first choice to target was the president's wife, Eleanor Roosevelt. Hoover suspected an affair with a He bugged Eleanor's hotel room. He found no proof of a sexual relationship. Eleanor found the microphones and went to her husband. But Roosevelt seemed more worried about the young soldier he transferred the next day to the Pacific. Eleanor Roosevelt's file contained 449 pages. <laughs> FBI espionage for the White House allowed Hoover to increase his collection of files. He assembled information on every politician and began dealing directly with Roosevelt, cutting out his meat. December 7, 1941. The U.S. was attacked by the Japanese at Pearl Harbor. America was in shock. Hoover was blamed for not taking seriously the statement of a double agent, Popov, warning of the attack. Hoover saved his reputation by sporting conspiracies and bombings organized by pro-Nazis. George Dash, the leader of a group of saboteurs, arrived by submarine off Long Island with seven other spies. Their mission was to blow up the Niagara Dam 
But strangely, Dash warned the FBI. Rumors started a godsend and called the press to announce the FBI had caught eight Nazi spies. They never mentioned Dash and busted him with the others. It won Hoover the Congressional Gold Medal. Later, questions were raised as to Dash's... Was he a U.S. agent infiltrated the group and been sacrificed to save other U.S. spies? To this day, nobody knows. On April 12, 1945, Roosevelt died. The war was almost over. President Truman was showing concern about the power of Hoover and the FBI. In a May 12th memo, he wrote, We don't want a Gestapo or secret police. Some in the FBI are meddling in sex scandals and blackmail instead of catching criminals. It has to stop. When Truman discovered how Roosevelt used Hoover for phone taps, he wrote, What's that crap? Tell the FBI we don't have time for this kind of shit. But Truman changed his mind when he discovered that the file of his opponent, Tommy Cochran, a former Truman aide who switched camps, had 5,000 pages of compromising wiretaps. He saw the advantage of political espionage and encouraged Hoover to continue, making him his confidant, but also calling in his debt. Now, Hoover wanted the FBI to become a world network. To counter this, a worried Truman created the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, which answered to the president and excluded Hoover. Hoover banned his FBI agents from sharing information with the CIA. On August 6, 1945, to end the war with Japan, Truman launched an atomic bomb over Hiroshima. 200,000 died. On October 16, 1945, the physicist Robert Oppenheimer, director of the Manhattan Project, resigned and began campaigning against the atomic bomb. Hoover suspected that Russian spies infiltrated the project and with information. Truman was skeptical. However, in 1990, Russian archives showed they had over 30 Russian agents within the project. On April 16, 1945, Senator Bernard Baroche declared America's entry into the Cold War. Truman ordered all civil servants to undergo a loyalty test. The House Un-American Activities Committee was formed. Congress gave Hoover a complete authority over these investigations, making him a hero. He made the Newsweek cover entitled, How to Fight Communism. Hoover saw that accusing stars of communism would attract more attention than going after ordinary citizens. On October 20, 1947, the first hearings of the House of Un-American Activities Committee began with Gary Cooper, Robert Taylor, and Ronald Reagan. Okay, kidding me? Hoover also put pressure on the studio heads to send him all actors suspected of communism. This campaign against Hollywood virtually destroyed the movie industry, which was already suffering yeah. from the on October 21st, 19 screenwriters and directors were summoned and asked, Are you now, or have you ever been, a member of the Communist Party? The first ten took the Fifth Amendment. Only the eleventh, Bertolt Brecht, swore to never having been a communist. He was congratulated by the committee. The first ten Your fucking were convicted. business. 
On October 24th, Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, Frank Sinatra, and Ava Gardner came to Washington in support of the convicted Ted. Hoover, furious, threatened to ruin their careers. They all backed off and denied any communist sympathies. You have to understand the context of the time, and, and Hoover, Hoover acted within that power. context. And um, he acted within the context of anti-communist hysteria or anti-communist concern. There was, there was real and there was exaggerated concern about communist influence in, in America. At the same time, a file was opened for a Hollywood actor under the number 100-382196. Charlie Chaplin. Height 6 foot 1. Weight 174 pounds. Eyes blue. Name Ronald Reagan. Huh. Hoover knew Reagan, then a Democrat, had mafia ties <laughs> through his friend and lawyer, Sidney Korshak. When Reagan became president of the Screen Actors Guild, which defended its members against the committee, Hoover brought up this dubious association. Under threat, Reagan changed sides, becoming an agent for Hoover under the code number T-10. He secretly communicated the names of actors and actresses with suspected communist ties while remaining their union president. Wow. In 1952, one of the most surprising events occurred when Reagan fell in love with an actress, Nancy Davis, whose name appeared on the communist meeting lists. Reagan implicated another unknown actress by the same name and cleared his loved one. Hoover closed the file. Hoover's files accumulated as writers and intellectuals took their turn. What the fuck was that about? They were anonymous, but no one could find a trace of the FBI. He dated Only another Hoover one? had access. And, and he circulated material Hoover? confidentially. <laughs> the fuck? Nashville Hammett, as writers and intellectuals took their turn. House of Un-American Activities Committee began with Gary Cooper, Robert Taylor, and Ronald Reagan. Hoover also put pressure on the studio heads to send him all actors suspected of communism. This campaign against Hollywood virtually destroyed the movie industry, which was already suffering from the advent of television. On October 21st, 19 screenwriters and directors were summoned and asked, Are you now, or have you ever been, a member of the Communist McCarthy Party? McCarthy is, um... The first ten took the Fifth Amendment. Only the eleventh, Bertolt Brecht, swore to never having been a communist. on other actors and actresses Red Fever, comma, McCarthyist. Union members and anyone on the left, exclamation points.
and many other high He was congratulated by the committee. The first ten were convicted. On October 24th, Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, Frank Sinatra, and Ava Gardner came to Washington in support of the convicted ten. Hoover, furious, threatened to ruin their careers. They all backed off and denied any communist sympathies. You have to understand the context of the time, and, and Hoover... Hoover acted within that context, and um, he acted within the context of anti-communist hysteria or anti-communist concern. There was, there was real and there was exaggerated concern about communist influence in, in America. At the same time, a file was opened for a Hollywood actor under the number 100... Exclamation point. Dash three eight two one nine six, height six foot one, weight one hundred and seventy four pounds, eyes blue, name Ronald Reagan. Hoover knew Reagan, then a Democrat, had mafia ties through his friend and lawyer, Sidney Korshak. When Reagan became president of the Screen Actors Guild, which defended its members against the committee, Hoover brought up this dubious association. Under threat, Reagan changed sides becoming an agent for Hoover under the code number T-10. He secretly communicated the names of actors and actresses with suspected communist ties while remaining their union president. In 1952, one of the most surprising events occurred when Reagan fell in love with an actress, Nancy Davis, whose name appeared on the communist meeting lists. Reagan implicated another unknown actress by the same name and cleared his loved one. Hoover closed the file. That's fucking weird. Hoover's files accumulated as writers and intellectuals took their turn. They were anonymous, so no one could find a trace of the FBI. Only Hoover had access, and he circulated material confidentially. Nashio Hammett, Thomas Mann, Ernest Hemingway, John Steinbeck, Aldous Huxley, Arthur Miller, Tennessee Williams, Truman Capote, Picasso, and even Albert Einstein had secret files. Truman worried, wanted to get rid of Hoover, but he was too popular. Attorney General Howard McGrath escorted his saying, Hoover is too powerful to be manipulated. What happened with Jerry Hoover was that he wasn't so much eager to tell, some, tell America what somebody was doing wrong, Particularly if they were. He was eager to do it to let the focus and the power to know he knew what they were doing wrong. I, J. Hoover, know what you did, and your secret is safe with me, but for crying out loud, be careful in the future. That right there puts the senator, the judge, 
president, president's family on notice that somebody knew. Somebody was keeping a secret. And with each secret he kept, this man's power increased. And because his power increased, his popularity increased. His popularity out of the He was constantly in front of America's eyes, and they loved it. They felt safe. He was kissing Shirley Temple on the cheek. He was America's and he was honest. He didn't get a big salary. He didn't want a big salary. And when Joseph Kennedy, the father of the later president, John F. Kennedy, offered him the presidency, he said, no, I won't run the president. I have no interest in the president. On October 11, 1955, Joseph Kennedy wrote to Hoover, Walter Winchell mentioned your name as a presidential candidate. It would be wonderful for the United States, whether on a Republican or a Democratic ticket. I guarantee my support. The United States deserves you. And when Kennedy uh, just... Hey, I'm here to say new FanDuel customers at $5 get a hundred... Training drops the $10 million ticket destiny. Training montage. Hey guys, Jack Cardone, hope you do well today. Uh, here we are going into 2023, and that's going to be breakable for some and unbreakable for some. The United States deserves it. And when Kennedy, I just said, we asked the guy, he said, because I always have more power. I'll be out of business in four years. I've got all the power I want now. I'm not an elected official. Yeah, appointed official that managed to go from administration to administration to administration, and very, very, very popular. In February 1950, Senator Joseph McCarthy stated that the Truman government was knowingly harboring over 200 Communist Party members. When summoned to give proof, he requested Hoover's help. Hoover dug up pertinent material and began to secretly feed him information. In the late 40s, Senator McCarthy was on a rampage to expose communism in the country. And for Jay Hoover, anyone who was joining his team to expose communists was a friend. Most people in this country knew someone that had flirted with joining the Communist Party. Only it was very popular. It was like a radical cause. It was very in at the time. It wasn't so much that they were in favor of communism, they were in favor of doing something avant-garde. In 1951, Hoover joined the Nixon-Eisenhower camp for the coming elections. The opponent was Illinois Governor Adlai Stevenson. The day Stevenson announced his candidacy, the FBI prepared a memo accusing him of homosexuality and communist sympathies. Hoover ordered an anonymous letter making sexual allegations. The rumor spread through Washington. His FBI file was titled Stevenson, Sexual Deviant. Hoover used McCarthy and journalist Walter Winchell to destroy Stevenson's good reputation. In November 52, Eisenhower won with 55% of the vote. Hoover feed McCarthy material. There was no suggestion that the FBI and McCarthy were together up until the point that um, 
McCarthy decided to announce his door specifically the challenge to prove some of these facts he was spouting. He said, well, the FBI gave me the material. At which point, Jake Hoover became outraged and went and made a, a, uh, an announcement publicly that the FBI did not indeed directly supply McCarthy with any information. The fact was, as soon as he was directly involved with McCarthy, however, he started to back away from um, the senator. And as McCarthy became more and more unpopular, Hoover became more and more popular. He was talking to America saying, we need to be level-headed reasonable here. It was the type of thing that Hoover did repeatedly. He did it with journalists. He did it with his friends, his superstar friends. He would feed them bits of information, cancelize them, and uh, as soon as they became unuseful, he would stop them. And this was a man who did not cultivate friendships. He cultivated opportunities. He manipulated uh, America. He manipulated Congress. He manipulated Hollywood. Who were new rumors of homosexuality ruined political careers? He used this. He was a master manipulator. So his enemies began using the same methods, accusing him of a romantic relationship with his chief aide, Clyde Tolson, which had lasted 40 years. <laughs> they worked together, were unmarried, and inseparable. Journalists spread the rumor that the Mafia had compromising photos. No one has seen these photos, and while these accusations could have ruined Hoover's career, no Mafia boss would have risked blackmailing the country's most formidable man. Tolson stayed with him to the end. He left the FBI the day that Hoover died. There was not one single instance, a shred of proof. And believe me, I looked. There would have been something somewhere to suggest that something was going on. And the only thing that I found that showed any sign of love whatsoever was all the mementos he kept from his mother and Dorothy Lamour. The concept that Hoover was more powerful than anyone in the United States was based on fact. You did not want to get on the bad side of this man. You wanted to be his friend, if at all possible. This not only included people in Washington, it definitely included people in Hollywood. Hoover often visited Hollywood. He loved being seen with stars and then with him. He was America's biggest star, and the photos made all the magazines. The actors sought the favor of America's leading cop. They welcomed him during filming, dined with him, some even took shooting lessons at the FBI. They didn't know he had them followed, wiretapped, and kept files on each of them. He knew that the glamour of premieres, palm trees, and beautiful things hid a world of gangsters, blackmail, prostitutes, drugs, corrupt lawyers, and publicity-hungry politicians. 
1953, he named a committee to launch a series of investigations into Hollywood. This is how Lana Turner, Jerry Cooper, Anthony Quinn, Say goodbye to Hollywood. Spencer Tracy, Groucho Marx, and many others ended up with FBI files. He even tapped producers' homes and film studios. Say goodbye, my baby. All Hollywood was done. Jagger Hoover had his own unique style and method of filing. It is what made his power base so remarkable. Because no one knew where to find anything among these millions of documents. Oh, man. Peter's files had five categories. Obscene, sexual deviancy, huh. first one confidential, official confidential, and the fifth, do not file, <laughs> which reported on the Bureau's own infractions. <laughs> Hoover understood that sex and money were the key weaknesses of politicians. Each number representing something absolutely unique to Jake Hoover. But for anyone else that was looking at it to figure out, I mean, it wasn't alphabetical, it wasn't by subject, it wasn't by state, it wasn't by crime. It had absolutely no sense. Yet, if you needed a file, his assistants would write to that filing cabinet and put out the one piece of paper you need, and even to this day, the filing system has not changed. And to this day, there is absolutely no semblance of order to it unless you work within the FBI. And if you do, then you know exactly where to find everything. They know where to find things. They also know, by the way, because of the Freedom of Information Act in this country, you can get access to all these files. It's one of the ways I was able to write this book on Jager Hoover, but they also have a big black pen and they mark everything out that they don't want you to see. He is to getting the pieces of paper without the black pen marked on them. That's the real secret. In the 1950s, we learned that many politicians, including Nixon, Johnson, Truman, and Kennedy, would go to Las Vegas, Sin City, to get dirty money from the Mafia to assist in their electoral campaigns. For the first time in America, Hoover bugged a whole city. Hotel rooms, casinos, restaurants, administrative buildings, and unions. He knew everything about Senator Kennedy's affairs with girls introduced to him by Sinatra and the latter's mafia ties. When JFK became president in 1960, he decided to get rid of Hoover. This was Hoover's first real threat. Well, in a lot of ways, um, J. Edgar Hoover and Frank Sinatra were made for each other. When Frank Sinatra died in 1998, we both became interested in his uh, FBI files because we, we both work in that area. I, I, do, I do a lot of work with government archives, and Philip, uh, Phil does a lot of work with um, in investigative reporting. And we knew... So you want to know where to invest $1,000 right now? Well, forget about stocks, real estate, or cryptocurrency. There is a little... And Philip, uh, Phil does a lot of work with um, an investigative report. And we knew that since Sinatra had been such a dominant 
figure uh, in American entertainment and American politics for the last half century, that his files would uh, no doubt be quite interesting, and they were. What you had was a, uh, a history of the United States for about 50 years, going from the communist era through the Kennedy era, through the uh, Reagan era, because uh, Frank Sinatra was rubbing elbows with everybody in that time period. He was a celebrity that uh, both uh, found himself attracted to powerful figures and saw powerful figures attracted to him. And the entire time, another great figure in American history, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, was watching this whole thing unfold and keeping copious notes on both things that were observed, facts that were observed, and also unverified rumors um, about Frank Sinatra's life. All of it was taken down um, in this dossier that you, that, that we you took and put into this book. Do a FOIA request. Do a biography about it. Frank Sinatra was forever hanging out with very, very questionable figures. Sam Giancana, who was the head of the Chicago mob, is uh, the, the most famous of them. In 1960, Frank Sinatra introduced both Sam Giancana and John F. Kennedy, who was a presidential candidate. On separate occasions, he introduced them to one Judith Campbell, uh, Judith Campbell was mistress to uh, to Jack Kennedy and to Sam Giancana. So you had this bizarre circumstance where this, this woman who's got uh, ties to the mob is sleeping with the President of the United States. And J. Edgar Hoover, because of how well connected he was and his informants were, knew about this at the time and um, made it clear to Robert Kennedy that he knew it, uh, President Kennedy's brother. J. Edgar Hoover immediately went to the White House and said to Robert Kennedy, I want you to know that it might be wise for you to talk to your brother, the president, about the relationship he is currently having with a woman named Judith Campbell, who has connections with this mafia through her own relationships. It might not look good. Your secret is perfectly safe with me. But who knows who else might be able to find out about it. And Robert Kennedy was absolutely dumbstruck. He stopped. He paused. He knew. He was wise enough to realize there was no getting rid of J. Edgar Hoover. There was no possibility of removing this man because of what he knew. You could say it was J. Edgar Hoover's finest hour, argue, arguably, because um, at, at no point in American history, I don't think, did, did the underworld become so, come so close to gaining influence at the highest level of the American government. I mean, you think of this sort of thing happening in Italy, but not in the United States. But it was clear that mobsters... ...about Reagan's ties to the mafia through his lawyer, exclamation point.
were, uh, were using Frank Sinatra to gain an entree to the President of the United States. Hoover was 66 and knew Kennedy wanted to retire him after his 1964 re-election. He hated Jack's brother Robert Kennedy, who forced Hoover to go through him to reach the President. But thanks to his Las Vegas bugs, he knew the Kennedys were implicated in the assassination attempts on Castro, and that they entrusted the job to the CIA to keep Hoover out of it. When the CIA chose two Las Vegas Mafia bosses for the mission, friends of Sinatra and the President, Sam Giancana and Johnny Rastelli, Hoover merely opened a new Kennedy file and waited. Despite Robert Kennedy's ban, Hoover bugged the Malibu house of actor and Kennedy brother-in-law, Peter Lawford, and learned about the secret relationship between Marilyn Monroe and JFK, who met there in secret. A transcript revealed that when Marilyn advised the president to get rid of Hoover, he said, Impossible. Hoover knows too much. Hoover gloated. After Marilyn Monroe's death, Hoover protected the Kennedys, but they knew he had all the facts on them. Hoover could relax. The fact that Hoover put everything in black and white made things very difficult. Charge your phone 40% faster with this new 4-port charging device. This $37 phone charger made things very simple, particularly in America. Life itself is not that difficult if you look at things in black and white. You have the good guys and the bad guys. What You have right and you have wrong. That is exactly the way Jagger painted things. That's what he thought. There was no complications in Jagger Hoover's theories. Hoover felt that the attacks on Fidel Castro and the Mafia by Robert Kennedy had left his brother exposed. President Kennedy's assassination on November 2, 1963, didn't surprise Hoover. His indifference shocked Robert Kennedy. Hoover felt John Kennedy died at his brother's place. According to FBI wiretap transcripts, like right before on the June 4th, 1962, mobster Eddie M was trying to have Robert Kennedy assassinated to stop his attacks on the mafia. Hoover knew JFK's murder was designed to avenge the assassination attempt on Castro, organized by Robert Kennedy, the CIA, and the Mafia. But he couldn't reveal this. The American people would call for a war on Cuba. He warned President Johnson that Cuba had 20 Russian missiles pointed at American cities, which the FBI estimated could cause 20 million deaths. Johnson and Hoover ordered the investigating committee to bury the truth in the famous Warren Report. The Kennedy family agreed to silence and never commented on the assassination again. Gotta play that again. One of the more interesting ways that Hoover managed to control not only the government but the media was his ability to to escape taking direct responsibility for anything. When he wanted to a microphone in the offices of Martin Luther King, before he would do that, however, he wanted to have the authority from someone else. In this particular case, it was the Attorney General, his boss, 
Robert Kennedy, who he went to multiple times requesting that he have the right to bug this man's office, based on the fact that he had communist infiltration. The man, Stanley Levison, who was his financial guru, was supposedly a member of the Communist Party, and he wanted to learn what was going on in that office, if indeed there was a communist connection. Eventually, Robert Kennedy said yes. He acquiesced, and he gave Hoover the power to bug. He not only bugged his office, he bugged his hotel rooms, he bugged his house, he bugged his phones, he, he bugged his car, and he discovered nothing about the <laughs> Communist Party. But he discovered that Martin Luther King was having multiple clandestine affairs with women. And it turned Jager Hoover's stomach. Hoover would take these tapes home and listen to them at night, which is sort of fascinating. And he spent the rest of his living days trying to discredit this man, who essentially was doing a lot of good, and what he did in his private time was his own business. Yeah, to exactly. Most but not to Jager Hoover. Uh, Robert Kennedy never backtracked. He never said, all right, enough, stop. He never took that power away from Jager Hoover, and as such, to the moment he died, Martin Luther King was a bugged man. There was a wonderful meeting where Martin Luther King came to Jager Hoover in the FBI headquarters to try to make peace. And they shook hands, and it appeared to everyone that they were again on friendly terms. There's not, nothing had changed in Hoover's eyes. He merely saw another photo opportunity, so he smiled for the cameras, and as soon as Martin Luther King was out of touch, he, he authorized another wiretap. Huh. In the early 70s, Hoover went against all his principles. Having bugged the Mafia's leaders, he let them commit murders he knew about to protect his informers within the organization. Murders he knew about? He authorized their crimes and let his agents arrest and convict innocent men. What? Is it true that in the year 1950, you devised the murder of the head of the so-called Five Family in New York? It's a complete falsehood. It wasn't until after Hoover's death that this information became known and stands as far more an interesting appellation of, of irresponsibility than any rumor we may have heard about this man having a relationship with the second-in-command, which pales by comparison to getting someone falsely accused of murder and letting the real murderers that you know about go free. It is appalling to me and everyone else that's heard the story, and it, it does put a giant black spot on the man's name. In 1971, Hoover's popularity was plummeting. Nixon and his aides wanted him out. An FBI memo from October 8, 1971, records the president's words. For many reasons, Hoover's got to resign. He must go of his own accord to avoid waves before next year's elections. At the same time, Nixon discovered that the Democrats were about to reveal supposed backhanders he'd received from millionaire Howard Hughes. Backhand? He hired some former CIA agents known as the Plumbers to find the files. But a series of countrywide burglaries turned up nothing. When Hoover learned that the president had created his own secret police, a new turn of events, 
He gave him a warning. Nixon did listen. On May 2nd, 1972, Hoover died of a heart attack. Strangely, there was no autopsy, leaving doubts as to the cause. His death was well timed. Released from this burden, a few weeks later, Nixon sent his men to burgle the Democratic Party's headquarters in the Watergate building. The Watergate affair began. Nixon had signed his political death warrant. In 2006, we learned that the informer, Deep Throat, who triggered the investigation by two Washington journalists, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, which led to Nixon's resignation, was an FBI agent named Mark Felt, who had worked under Hoover for years. a mystery. I think it's a mystery even to Bob Woodward. <laughs> you don't know if the source is actually using you or that you are being given information that someone higher up wants you to have or in fact you're getting information that higher ups don't know you're getting. <laughs> Why journalists have to be very professional that's why investigators have to be very professional when it comes to and understanding and handling of confidential sources. So that's why they call espionage the wilderness of mirrors. You don't know who you're working for after a while. That's right. <laughs> this building is the headquarters of the Southern Jurisdiction of the Scottish Rite Freemasons. J. Edgar Hoover was a member of the Scottish Rite Freemasons. When he passed away, he was a 33rd degree Freemason, which was the highest level of Freemasonry uh, that uh, one could achieve. Hoover's death, the FBI changed. The FBI became open. There was not the glamour that there was with Jay Hoover. The FBI had to yet again reinvent itself. It had to become beyond reproach yet again. And it did. And because it did, and because we were all watching it as they did it, we took on and renewed respect once again. And Hollywood noticed and we have the Jody Fosters playing FBI agent. The FBI Academy. Hmm. A criminal Starling. asylum. Agent A young student of the criminal mind. I'm here to learn from you. Just do your job. I never forget what he is. Now we have, have celebrities that are not afraid to put their name in the mix associated with the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation. Now... FBI profiler Terry McCaleb owes his life to the victim of a murder. Three years after Hoover's death, in December 75, Congress opened an...
Gronk speaking. Great news, Gronk. You're going to be in the FanDuel Super Bowl commercial. Nice. So I just lift up my phone and say, new FanDuel customers bet $5, win 150 bucks. Death in December 75. Congress opened an investigation into the FBI. They summoned Hoover's secretary, Helen Gandy, who'd been with him since 1918. Where did the millions of secret files disappear to? Only one thing was certain. Documents were taken to Hoover's house after his death. <laughs> Helen Gandy swore these were only Hoover's personal effects. But the driver who carried them contradicted her, saying at least 25 binders and 35 boxes were put in the basement, monitored by employee Annie Fields. No one knows what became of them. Newsweek claimed a few months later that files damaging to Nixon's White House remained in the possession of Hoover's close friend, Clyde Tolson. At Tolson's death, his house was searched by FBI agents. <laughs> Helen Gandy never talked and was never questioned again. In 1977, the FBI burned the sexual deviancy files containing 300,000 pages. Edgar Hoover is a very, very complicated figure. To this day, his name adorns the headquarters of the FBI building in Washington, D.C. It's called the J. Edgar Hoover Building. And to this day, there are people in Congress, both Republicans and Democrats, fighting over whether or not his name should be on that building because he oversaw such a huge invasion of privacy during his time period. The FBI yeah. of today in, is a prevention of terrorism is really what the uh, what the uh, country demands of us at this particular time. Uh, identifying the problem before it becomes a serious problem, before the 9-11. Yeah, apparently, and, like the FAT FBI, the because it's infiltrated with um, Trump cunts, that's said to be why they, they you know, done a pretty lame-ass job only given um, trespassing and picketing charges to like a thousand Trumplicants who attacked Congress and tried to hang Mike Pence and the House Speaker and smeared their shit all over the walls and all that good stuff. 9-11 is not that we didn't know about it. It's that we didn't tell about it. There was information out there. It wasn't just going to the right places. I mean, we were getting bits and pieces. It just yeah, never was collected in a single pot. On, and so in Jagger Hoover's time, it would have been collected. They would have been put there. Yeah. It would have been found out. There was no but other place for it to go. Now we have Homeland Security. We've got the CIA. We've got, you know, we've got this TSA. We've got all these initials. And everybody has their own little place. And nobody knows what to do. What do we need a government and for? In Hoover's case, friends like that, you don't need do. enemies. He was the, the buck stopped there. With a government he, like that, you don't need enemies. Nobody ever didn't tell him. Everyone was was proud to be able to get their memo to Hoover. See ya.